This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? 9.37 a.m. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. This is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you may have missed. Our job is to make sure that we send you off into the weekend with lots of different things to talk about with whoever you come across on the street. So that you can sound marginally smarter. Of course, of course. Is that what you tell yourself every day, Phil? Every day, but you always remind me my base is low. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let us talk about the a story that you really couldn't have missed, even if you were under a rock this week, and that is the developments related to OpenAI, which has dominated discussion uh, and really gone from one end to another. It did a 360, essentially, uh, from what happened on Saturday all the way up to the present day. Uh, we saw on, on Friday it was that uh, Sam Altman the CEO was kicked out and uh, you know just a week later he is back in the driving seat. So many angles to approach this story. I wonder where to start, you know, with respect to the process, to how he was kicked out and how he was re-inducted back into the mix. It really reminded me a bit about the issues of governance here, about how, you know, because OpenAI was meant to be a non-for-profit startup, but there was this entity that had a cap or some growth, limited growth element to its profit. And I wonder whether that misalignment in governance caused all this tension. Okay, so I, I read this Reuters story that's kind of put a spanner into the works, which basically said that ahead of the OpenAI Sam Altman's four-day in exile, several staff researchers wrote a letter to the board warning of a powerful artificial intelligence discovery that they said could threaten humanity. I'm like, what did mm. they discover? And how is this at all related to Sam and... And if it is, should we be scared? Should we be rejoicing? Do we know something that isn't... Is this a true story? I mean... I have more questions than answers after I read that headline, though. So I think that's why there's that non-for-profit element to help oversee that, isn't it? I mean, Mm. the whole goal for OpenAI was to say, okay, we were striving towards artificial general intelligence. They summarize as AGI. And of course, many wax lyrical whether they can move to super intelligence, right? Which is, I think, that whole concern about whether AI put into the wrong hands can actually be very disastrous for the world. I guess there's still so many unanswered questions because we really don't know why the board took the drastic action that they did because it was really drastic action with very little rationale for it apart from the comment that Sam Altman was not uh, persistently candid in communications with the board which could really mean anything and the speculation was rife throughout the week on what happened Mm. Um, and I think what's interesting also about this open AI story is it brings into question who exactly is in charge of a company, right? Is it the board or is it the money behind the board? And that's where Microsoft came in because mm. they didn't have a position on the board. They didn't. But because uh, the heft that they bring, the financial heft that they bring, they somehow managed to engineer it that they hired Sam Altman under the wing, but ultimately have Sam Altman come back because of the backing that they provided him in a way. It wasn't only just the Microsoft's uh, money that pushed their way, uh, that pushed Sam back in. I think he had a lot of supporters in the tech field, right? He had a lot of people writing in and saying, what is going on? Why are you all sacking him? This is the end of, 
AI, uh, you know, yoga, should rehire him. Even, set, what, 730 staff within OpenAI were, like, threatening to resign on the back of this. Which is so interesting, right, to get staff to be able to threaten board members that if actually they do a wrong thing, staff actually have the power to actually, you know, unseat the board fundamentally when I hear this story. It's its own form of a union. and But it's that's also another curious element about this and that Sam Altman seems to have almost a cult-like persona of sorts, right, given that he is seen as the face of AI uh, and that he has managed to get so much loyalty from so many different yes. stakeholders mm. as well. I find that really interesting. And what does that mean, right, to have that much clout, I guess, by virtue of who you are? Um, I'm curious how this is all going to pan out and whether OpenAI can still remain the front runner, or does this make it weaker? Does it make it stronger? Uh, will we see other players come into play? And what does also that mean for the regulatory landscape of AI? Does mm. this give a, a, you know does this give more credence to the boomers who want to see advancement quickly? Uh, will the doomers I don't know be relegated to the sidelines because they failed in in whatever this coup mm. is supposed to be? Uh, interesting, interesting elements. And the new board members, uh, what kind of role are they going to play, right? Are they going to be pro-SAM, neutral, which they should be? Or, you know... <laughs> it sen- the sense is that they will be pro-SAM because yeah. the, the, the shift and the allegation was that, you know, SAM wanted to move it into a more-for-profit entity and the three new board members that came through, of course, uh, Larry Summers, a very famous economist. Who US actually, Treasury Secretary once upon a time. Correct. Very interested in the economics of AI and you've got actually also two CEOs, I think one from... Uh, Salesforce. Salesforce. So, Brett Taylor. Brett Taylor. So I think these are people, I think, who are all going to be on SAM's side. And of course, with as you say, the financial backing of Microsoft and with the swift leadership of Satya Nadella, mm. I think this really solidifies him. It also doesn't, it also really helps that his experience in Y Combinator has actually helped him build this huge network. Okay, one fun fact. Do you know that Sam has no college degree? He dropped Like many out. of them do, actually. He dropped out of university just like Steve Jobs, that's Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. That's he left over Stanford University. That's over employment for you. <laughs> All right. Well, we will no doubt be following more headlines on OpenAI in the days and weeks to come. But let's turn our attention to a couple of other headlines that have also caught our eye. Uh, we do have some developments with regard to the property crisis in China. Earlier this morning, we were talking about the uh potential of the property crisis uh, spilling over to the shadow banking space with the news of Zhongji uh, being in in debt. Uh, But I think there's other news coming out from this, right? Uh, Especially in terms of what it is that the government is doing to try and put a curb or or put a floor to, to this crisis. That's right. They're trying to ramp up pressure on banks to plug an estimated 446 billion shortfall in funding. Right, so they're finalizing a draft list of 50 developers eligible for financial and support. And who is in that list? I think it's most important. They include Country Garden. They have to. <laughs> they have no choice. They have no choice. I mean, if they don't bail out Country Garden, who on earth are they going to bail out, right? That's the sore thumb that's really like in everybody's face. It's the most indebted property company. No, is that Evergrande? Okay, maybe I can't remember who is more indebted, Evergrande or Country Garden, but all equally indebted. And if you don't in some way put in some rescue effort, then this problem cannot go away on its own. The question is, also, if you don't do that, will there be repercussions? And we're already seeing that with the fall of one of the largest shadow banks out there, right? How many more shadow banks are going to fail? 
That's right. I mean, and people this, won't be buying property. There's no confidence in these developers. Let's draw parallels to the GFC, right? Of the which really inflicted the US about more than a decade ago, and that started off with the subprime mortgage crisis, right? It always reminds me that actually property is so interlinked to the economy that when we get it wrong on property, it really has big implications uh, for the overall general economy as well. Well, let's uh, maybe end this half with a look at what's happening over in the UK, right? Because we're looking at governments trying to make these decisions to uh, prevent short-term crisis, uh, to prevent, you know, to kind of avoid Mm. longer-term repercussions. We're seeing something of that sort play out in the UK with the recent autumn statement by the UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. Uh, They've actually announced uh, some of the biggest tax cuts, I think, or or huge tax cuts. It's been described as a live now, pay later autumn statement. What details do we have? Hmm. I mean, it sounds very populist, isn't it? This tax cuts, it does fit into the conservative theme of fiscal. Discuss this elections in January 25. That's right. I do think they need to show up their conservative base because fundamentally, if you look at the polls, they're way behind Labour. And so I think this is an election pleasing budget, especially to show up its core conservative base. But what does that mean for the future, right? What does that mean for... Uh, don't I mean, it's kind of curious. We have seen the UK in some pretty sticky economic conundrums over this past couple of years. Yeah. Who can forget what happened uh, when Liz Truss <laughs> was in charge for a brief moment. They literally caused... Uh, they nearly caused the collapse of the UK bond market. Uh, so again, they don't really have a lot of... Uh, how to say it? They don't have a good track record at this no, stage. No, this budget, according to The Guardian, is a classic pre-election live-now-pay-later package aimed at seducing voters and embarrassing the opposition. That sums it up in a nutshell. All right, sums it up. It's 9.46 in the morning. We are going to head into some messages, but we'll come back with more of the stories that we've been following this week. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show with Shazana, Philip and Xiao Ning. We're turning our attention to some of the local headlines that have caught our eye and it is Auditor General report season again. I think another series of Auditor General reports have been issued and of course we're going to go parse through some of the findings uh, that he has revealed. More than 600 million in losses of public funds were reported from 16 performance audits conducted in 14 ministries involving 208.882 billion ringgit, 681 million. That is a total identified loss. It's a huge number. So out of the 16 performance audits, three each were on the rural and regional development and home ministries. Uh, Two were conducted on the agriculture and food security ministry. I think we also see the national resources ministry, works ministry, a a series of ministries. So the idea is it's not a full audit of the whole ministry, but certain projects Mm. that have been done by. And really, it's a lot of work that the Auditor General has to do year in, year out to keep tabs of how all the different agencies and ministries uh, use taxpayer money, right? Um, but what are some of the, I guess, key headlines coming out of this yeah, one? Yeah, I think for me, what was very, I, what struck me was actually the wastage of public funds for that integrated foreign workers management system and the foreign workers centralized management system. Because you know we've had so much issues about foreign labor uh, entering the country and whether or not these wastages really had accelerated and put even bigger pressure on our economic right. So for me, although the number is small relative to the bigger six hundred, I think there's a bigger indirect impact of that lack of implementation. There were also other very interesting projects like the Paddy Planting Project uh, by the LADA, Langkawi Development Authority, that also caught scrutiny as well. Okay, I want to talk about the, the biggest chunk, well, one of them which is related to LADA, which is over the San Regis Hotel. 
because the Kedah Menteri Besar has weighed into this and basically said, look, we can't collect the lease from the San Regis Hotel, which is what the AG reported, because apparently there was no lease agreement signed between Lada and San Regis. So how can we collect something that we don't have a... So that means San Regis, so familiar. <laughs> so that means St. Regis is just rent-free, collect, staying rent-free there. Well, I, I'm going to quote the, the chief minister, I mean, <laughs> the Madri Basar. There was an issue of misconduct during its development process. The developer did not comply with the initial agreement. Lada did not allow a land to be used as collateral. So we did not sign. The land does not belong to St. Regis. It still belongs to Lada. St. Regis does not lease the land from Lada. So how do you collect land leasing from them? This is, I'm reading from the Malay Mail. Is this sloppy or is this sloppy administration no or is there something uh, more? Yeah, is there, a, is there a hotel on this property? I don't, you know what I mean? It could have just be, it could be empty. Uh, is there yeah. a physical building? I mean, what's going on? I'm There's pretty nobody sure. Nobody know. like yeah. I can see all our faces more looking a bit. More questions and answers, yes. I think, yeah, at this stage. So again, this is the perennial uh, story that comes with Auditor General reports, right? We have all these litany of uh, mis- deeds or, or misabuse or, or misaccounting of, of projects, mm. what happens next? Uh, that is the question that everybody has. Okay, so the AG said that it found out in December 19 that the LADA Board of Directors decided in a meeting that same year that there was no need for it to sign a land lease agreement due to the weakness of the company's financial performance. If a company's financial performance isn't great, why are you leasing land to them in the first place? Am I allowed to ask that question? Yes, you, are you are absolutely a lot to ask <laughs> that question, especially given the rates also that uh, hotel that the hotel brand <laughs> carries. I think, uh, but yes, I think that will be in the news or. Uh, stories related to the Auditor General's report will be in the news um, in the days and weeks to come, really. And again, the question of who is going to be held to account, what are the accountability processes? If you look at the uh, advice or I think the recommendations that the Auditor General has given, they're all very common sense, very practical uh, recommendations. Yeah, carry out the research on project proposals before approval, step up surveillance. Why isn't this being done? That is the question that I have. And now you've got findings from the AG report, what are you going to do with about it? It's mm. not the AG's job, C- clearly. I mean, they've done their job. Isn't the next phase accountability and punishment? Sorry, I'm going to put yeah. in the so word punishment. So does it then go to the Public Accounts Committee and is that going to be the next step, right, in terms of reviewing all these findings? Well, we will be talking about this uh, ad nauseum, I'm sure, moving forward. Uh, but let's take a look at other discussions that have dominated the week. I think there have been some exchanges in Parliament that has uh, caught attention, especially related to the issue of polygamy. That's right, because Pastor today offered a solution to the alleged over 4 million single women in the country. And the answer is polygamy, because he's worried that the high number of unmarried women in the country was a cause for concern. I really wonder why he's concerned about this. Okay, so let me quote him. I know my suggestion is not a final solution, but it can at least address some of the problems. May I know what the problem is if you are single? I feel... Silence in the room. (laughs) Pin drop silence. It's a rhetorical question that really has no answer. But what um, comes from this suggestion for me is the viewpoint that uh, Tuan Ibrahim seems to have of women as being subordinate in a way or of being or needing protection, right? And that is what I'm so vehemently against, that perception. Like, how can you still see women in that way given that it's 2023? And the challenge is, you've identified this as a problem. 
problem. Whereas actually, when you talk to women, there are other bigger problems to sort out, right? When you talk about uh, violence in the household. And so if you think about it, there are other bigger issues to actually resolve as opposed to the fact that a woman is single. Okay. I think that is, I think, one of the biggest problems, identifying the wrong problem. Yeah. So, if, okay, if you look at it as a government's role, it is the government's role to protect people. It is the government's role to offer some sort of social protection, 110%. Mm. But I don't think making sure that every woman in Malaysia is married is going to be one of the problems that they are out to solve, right? There's so many more structural issues that the country faces. Underemployment, poverty, the gap in education, the lack of healthcare uh, availability, those come to mind first mm. before worrying about single women who are honestly, I can speak for myself, happy and chugging along. Okay, <laughs> thanks very much. So I'm like, why are we, it feels like we're going back a little bit into the dark ages. Yeah. So uh, again, this kind of uh, argument really does not need to be how to say, uh, what, what, no need to layan lah, you know, don't need to layan so much lah, just uh, it, it's... Just let it pass. In any case, uh, let's maybe end a little bit, let's end our conversation today, just reflecting on, I guess, the one year of the Madani government. Mm. Uh, this is, you know, we're lo- not, well, not the Madani government per se, because the government itself was formed a few days after Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim came to the top post, but this is the anniversary of him coming to become PMX. And this, and you've, you, both of you have had actually breakfast grills this week, right? One, to look at his economic track record and also the political landscape that took place under one year. I mean, so much has evolved over the one year, but also many will argue that actually many have not felt the impact of this Madani government. Right. Um, I, I, I do take a listen to the conversations that we've had on the Breakfast Grill this week covering uh, the economic developments as well as the political side mm-hmm. of this Madani government in the one year. I think a lot of different uh, angles to tease out from there. Uh, if we use the Merdeka Centre survey as a benchmark in terms of uh, approval ratings for the Prime Minister, undoubtedly it has gone down, right? So in that sense, the Prime Minister has not lived up to expectations and a lot of it is uh, based on economic dissatisfactions, mm. um, which is a bit ironic given that he has actually put out a lot of economic blueprints in, in the past uh, couple of months, yet that hasn't really translated into people feeling more secure about the future. It hasn't filtered down into the how people feel when they go to the grocery store, when they fill up the petrol tanks, and they look at the balance left in their bank every month. I think that's the point, isn't it? But it's going to get worse next year, isn't it, when they start rationalising subsidy? Yeah. It will not be easy. It so will not. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, that's something that we are going to be keeping an eye on for sure. Uh, lots of things to discuss moving forward. Uh, we'll see if the Madani government makes it to the next GE. 9.56 in the morning, we're going to head into the 9am news bulletin. This eh, nine ten am news bulletin, that's all the time we have for WTF. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.